Hello, and welcome to the Automotive Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be covering the Lexus LFA. This was a sports car produced by Lexus from 2010 to 2012, and it's very much the classic recipe of a sports car. It is rear wheel drive, it's front mid engine, uh, which is a little bit unique. Um, but there are definitely lots of front engine sports cars. Um, and it also is powered by a very cool engine, a 4.8 liter V10, in fact. And we'll definitely get into that engine a little bit more later. Um, but starting with the looks of the car, it's very much a sedan. Um, you know, it's nothing, it, it's good looking. I mean, I don't think it's ugly, uh, but it's no hyper car look. It, it kind of looks like someone took a normal Lexus sedan and gave it a little bit more aggressive little you know sharper angled headlights um, some hood scoops different aerodynamic upgrades but it's not crazy looking it's it's a subtle sports car and it also doesn't really fit Lexus's whole business model Lexus is obviously all about luxury and high-end vehicles but not necessarily performance vehicles. And so this is a bit of a a jump to a different area of the automotive world for Lexus. And that was basically the sole intention of the LFA. It was originally designed to be an icon for Lexus and Toyota in general, as Toyota owns Lexus. It was kind of, you know, proposed as to be the ultimate Lexus, the The greatest Lexus ever made was going to be the LFA. And it actually was tested and and it started its development way before it was released. So, like I said, the production started in 2010, but the first prototype was actually developed in 2003. And it was spotted being tested on the Nürburgring. But that was just kind of a, a rumor, you know, someone saw this those those different uh, test vehicles uh, and it was a Lexus one and so that was actually eventually we found out that that was the first LFA. The official release would happen in 2005 at the North American International Auto Show and they made it very clear at the time of its release that the LFA was solely a concept car and it would not go into production. They were like you know it's just to show off what we can do don't expect to get these ever was basically the tone that they went for. Just a small tidbit um, that I thought was interesting is it looks like a big car to me. Like if you look at a picture of it, it's not a small looking car um, in any way, but it's actually five inches shorter than a Porsche 911 Turbo. Um, It does have a longer wheelbase of about nine inches, but I think that kind of shows that it's not actually a huge car. Um, It kind of looks big to me, but clearly not actually that big. Um, So when they released this at the auto show, when we're like, hey, this is solely a concept, everybody was really excited about it, and everybody really liked it. Um, And they're like, hey, Lexus, even though you say this is only a concept car, what if it's not? And Lexus was like, fine, we'll continue to develop it and see where it goes. So they would continue to work on it for the next couple of years. And Lexus really took their time in the development of the LFA. In fact, It wasn't until 2007, so two years later, that there was really any news on this car. And they made some big changes between 2005 and 2007. They switched from an aluminum frame for the whole car to a carbon fiber tub. So that's basically like 
completely scrapping the entire core of the car and redeveloping it. And they did this solely to improve the power to weight ratio, because even though aluminum is pretty light, obviously carbon fiber is going to be lighter. So in January of 2007, uh, the second concept of the LFA was released. Uh, this one featured a more flushed out interior. They, you know, kind of looked more like it was a complete car. Um, and it also imp improved the aerodynamics of the exterior. Uh, they just made it have less drag and it looked more sporty. So what's interesting is that Lexus claimed that they were going to develop both a V10 version of the LFA and a hybrid version. Um, the hybrid version would be powered with a V8 alongside electric motors. However, I, I can't seem to find anything on this hybrid version. I think it just kind of went into the ground and never ever went anywhere because I can't find anything on it. Um, but Lexus apparently was planning on having a hybrid version of this car. It just, I guess it just never happened. So Lexus had spent years developing this car. They, you know, switched to a carbon fiber tub uh, to improve the power to weight ratio. It has a big engine in it, which we'll get into in just a sec. But one of the most interesting things that I learned about this was that in December of 2007, Auto Express reported an unofficial time around the Nürburgring of 7 minutes, 24 seconds, and some little bit of time. And that's not that fast, at least compared to the times that are currently held. A Dodge Viper ACR did it in 7 minutes and 1 second. That's like, tw that's 23 seconds faster. And it's a Dodge Viper. In fact, a Honda Civic went around the Nürburgring in 7 minutes and 43 seconds. So, def you know, slower than the LFA. But compared to, like, the price difference, the LFA seemed a little slow to me. And, I, I you know, that seems strange. I don't know why, you know, it's a cool car. It has power. Um, it's pretty light. But at that time... They, you know, it didn't have the fastest time around this Nürburgring. And of course, this is unofficial. So perhaps they weren't pushing it. Perhaps they weren't going for the fastest lap possible. So take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, not the fastest time set in 2007. So finally, in 2009, uh, a production run of the LFA was confirmed. Lex was like, fine, we will produce these cars. And then they slapped uh, only 500 would be made on that. So I guess, you know, it makes sense. They wanted the car to be an icon. They wanted the car to be special and rare. And so it makes sense for them to limit the production to just 500. It also wasn't meant to be profitable uh, for Lexus, even though they sold these at a ridiculous price. Um, they claimed they were making no profit off of them. They also claimed that it was meant more as a testing platform for new technologies, including the mass production of carbon fiber. So they weren't really trying to make money off this car. They were just trying to make a symbol to represent the brand and a good platform to test their new ideas and test new technologies that they could eventually put into their higher production cars. As I guess is kind of the norm these days with really high-end fancy cars. Um, the buyers of LFAs were hand-selected by Lexus, um, and then each 
LFA would be custom ordered to the customer's specifications. Uh, they could pick things like brake caliper colors, uh, different seats, and different steering wheel leathers. So, you know, typical, if you have a lot of money, that's what you can do with it type stuff. So as I said earlier, production ended in 2012 and no successor would be created. Um, Lexus made it very clear again that this was their icon of a car, their special car, and they were not going to produce another one. Uh, they would continue to make parts for it, obviously to support those 500 that had been sold um, so that those could be maintained, but that would be it. Uh, so the final price tag on one of these would be $350,000. And again, that is supposedly Lexus making no profit off of these. So there was a ton of time and a ton of money put into the development of these cars. And I think a lot of that development was oriented towards the engine. So as I said, it's a V10. It redlines at 9,000 RPM and has fuel cutoff at 9,500 RPM. So I guess if you want to be an idiot and drive your $350,000 car past redline, it kind of shuts itself off when it loses fuel. So the reason that a V10 was chosen, at least according to Lexus, was that a V10 could rev higher than a V8 and V12s were considered too heavy. There was just too much stuff. So they went in between. They went something that could rev really high, but not weigh as much. So they ended up with the V10. And that's a big thing about this engine is the ability for it to rev. Uh, Lexus claims that the engine can rev from idle to redline in 0.6 seconds, which seems pretty damn fast to me. <laughs> and actually, Lexus claimed that an analog tack uh, to show the RPMs, did not have the ability to track the changes of the engine speed accurately. So they had to use a digital version to be fast enough to uh, track these engine speed changes. Uh, it would also include dry sump lubrication, which is just a technology used so that if you're going through a corner really, really fast, uh, the engine is never starved of oil. Um, because like if you're in a not super expensive fancy car, and you're going around a corner, all of the oil can be pushed to one side of the engine, essentially, and that prevents the pump from picking it up and pushing it through the engine. Um, so then these really fancy cars have this dry sump, so essentially that doesn't happen. There's different chambers so that the oil does not get all pushed to one side and the engine is never starved. These systems also usually have more than one oil pump, so again, just making sure that engine always has oil available. And again, because if you have money, why not? It has a titanium muffler. Um, and the sound of this car is something truly special. The beginning of this episode, that was the sound of the LFA. Um, and it was specifically designed to sound like an F1 car. And I'll go ahead and play both of those. So I'll play the one for the beginning and an F1 car again to, so you can decide if Lexus succeeded in their goal of creating this sound in a production car. So here's the sound of the LFA. And here's the sound of the Formula One car. Because, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> you want to be extra about your car. The engine was described, the sound of the engine was described as the roar of an angel. 
by Toyota Engineers, which seems perhaps a bit much, but it is a very nice sounding car. Um, and another interesting thing is that the engine sound was actually used to break a champagne glass. Uh, so definitely kind of a cool sounding car. Just more fancy things on the engine. It also has titanium valves and titanium connecting rods um, and individual throttle bodies for each cylinder. So just kind of an insane engine all around. Lots of titanium and lots of design to, to get that very specific sound out of it. So all of this put together gives out a horsepower rating of 553 horsepower which is nothing to shrug off. That's definitely a solid amount of power. But more importantly, the power to weight ratio of the LFA is 2.67 kilograms per horsepower, which I think is, you know, that's pretty close to what's considered the perfect power to weight ratio of one to one. The, the whole idea being there's only one kilogram of weight for one horsepower. That's considered just the, the golden ratio for performance cars. It's also very, very hard to achieve. Um, I believe Koenigsegg has a car they claim is a one-to-one. -one. I think it's called the one-to-one. -one. Um, but other than that, I do not know of any other cars that has achieved that ratio. Most likely because obviously if you put a massive engine in a car to produce massive power, that engine weighs a lot. Um, so it's not just the goal of producing a lot of power, it's the goal of producing a lot of power without a big engine. So definitely a hard task. So it is able to achieve this power to weight ratio by obviously being very light. It comes in at 3,263 pounds, um, which is lighter than a Corvette ZR1. It has a top speed of 202 miles per hour. As I briefly mentioned before, the engine layout is front mid, so not quite in the front of the car, but near the front axle. Um, and according to chief engineers behind the LFA, this layout was chosen as it provides less experienced drivers a more forgiving driving experience. Apparently, they found that rear or mid-engine sports cars can be more difficult to drive. And so they wanted the people that bought these cars to have the best experience. And so they went with this front mid-engine configuration. With all that horsepower, obviously, they need to be able to slow down the car as well and it has a stupidly good braking system. Obviously, it has disc brakes all around, unsurprising, but the front calipers are six piston calipers, and the rear calipers are four piston calipers, and that I mean, that's crazy. I have I've never even heard of these. Perhaps I'm not that well versed in high-performance braking systems, but like I knew that there were three, maybe four piston calipers, but six piston calipers? Thing must stop on a dime. And to top it all off, of course, it has carbon ceramic discs, because why not? There was also a lot of effort put into balancing the car, making sure that the amount of weight on the front wheels and the amount of weight on the back wheels are about is about equal. To do this, they actually put the radiators in the back of the car, so the whole cooling system, well, I guess not the whole cooling system, but the radiators and that part of the cooling system is all mounted in the rear of the car. And they also went just like the extra mile, I guess. I mean, this is insane to me. The windshield washer fluid reservoir. The little plastic container that holds a small amount of liquid to wash your windshield is mounted next to the gas tank in the center of the car to promote 
the balancing of the weight. So naturally, I thought, well, how do you fill this reservoir? I mean, in a normal car, you open the hood and it's just sitting there, the reservoir and all, and you fill it up. So I looked into it and the actually the cap to fill the windshield washer fluid reservoir is right next to the gas cap. So when you stop to fill up the gas and you pop open that little door to get access to the gas cap, right next to it is the windshield washer fluid reservoir cap. So I mean, really above and beyond to to allow this car to perform. Also, don't mix up those two caps. I mean, I guess if you put gas in your windshield washer fluid reservoir, that's not too bad. Uh, but the reverse, probably not good at all. Uh, Lexus, as I said, only produced 500 of these, but a certain amount of them were the Nürburgring package, LFA, and this package was introduced in March of 2010. And it has, it's a slightly more performance-oriented version with small upgrades, including 10 more horsepower, um, recalibrated transmission for a 0.05 second faster shifts. Um, it has a front splitter, canards, and a large rear ring to improve aerodynamics. So just a little bit more special if a regular LFA wasn't special enough for you. Only 63 of these Nürburgring package LFAs would be made, um, and this car, the Nürburgring version, would lap the Nürburgring in 7 minutes, 14 seconds, and some, which is a big improvement over the unofficial time before, and this is a, an official time, but it's still a lot slower than a Viper ACR. Just as an interesting comparison, um, the Viper costs somewhere in the range of $120,000 for the track-oriented version. Um, and so you can go faster around the Nürburgring for $120,000 instead of $350,000. A little bit insane, I think. Another thing to consider, though, just to give the LFA, uh, you know, a fair representation, the Viper ACR set its lap time in 2017. When the LFA set its time, it that time was good enough to be the fifth fastest production car ever. So at the time, it was certainly fast. I just, I mean, it really shows the advancement of technologies that you can go faster than that nowadays for way less money. Surprisingly, um, at least to me, the LFA was never really involved in motorsports. It did compete in the annual Nürburgring 24-hour race every year from 2008 to 2015, um, which means it was actually racing in the Nürburgring before it was produced, before it was a production car. Um, and it never does badly. It took class wins in 2010 and 2012. Uh, eventually, Lexus would make a special version that they called Code X, and they designed it specifically for this race, and that version would take a class win in 2014. So a little bit of motorsport involvement, but nothing crazy. To conclude the episode, um, the LFA it was a very cool car. It sounds amazing. Um, it was very exclusive. It had that classic, you know, icon, only a certain amount of people can experience this car type deal with it. Um, and it looks like it's going to stay that way. There is no new plans for a new LFA, and Lexus has not said anything. Although rumors, of course, have been flying for the past few years, but as of now, I wouldn't expect to see one 
ever. That's going to finish up the episode for the Lexus LFA. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Um, If you want to request any cars for me to cover in the future, you can do that by messaging me on Instagram or Twitter. The Instagram is automotive.podcast and the Twitter is at automotivepod. Also feel free to give me any other feedback on how I can improve the podcast. Thanks for listening.